Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Uh, saw a bunch of happy people out there already. Really, really cool. So uh, we're talking about studying the Bible. So get your Bibles around there. Hopefully you can grab one and uh, follow along with us. So when someone says to you, hey, let's study the Bible, does that exhilarate you or does that scare you? Does that, do you're like, oh man, I know exactly how to do that? Or do you're like, whoa, I think that's for the professionals. Uh, it's pretty common for people to interact with Bible study and believe that there are certain people in certain positions, that's what they do. They study the Bible and then they tell us what it means. Kind of the idea that I have this special gift, this special ability to understand the Bible better than you do. And that's entirely false. It's not true at all. The study of God's Word is not what you remember from high school. When someone said, okay, let's study. That was the process of taking as much information as you could 24 hours before the test, cramming it into your head and hoping that it seeps out in the right places at the right time the next day. I know, there's like 10% of you are like, what? No, you study long periods of time and do it right. That's not, that's not actually study, that's preparing for a test. Study is discovering. I want to find out about and it could be anything. And you actually use pretty much the same pattern, the same uh, mode to study anything. And we're going to jump into how do you study the Bible. And today, we're going to specifically study a passage together. The whole goal of today is not for you to learn how to live by the Bible. That's how we usually do it. Usually, I come out here and I begin to talk. And within about seven minutes, you're like, I got that problem. I need to know the answer to that problem. And then I show you from the God, God's Word how to do that, and then off we go. We're not doing that today. Today, it's very important, and this is one of the huge principles of Bible study, is that when you begin to study the Bible, it's not about you. It's not about you. The Bible was not written with you at the center of it. And then even when you go to be able to interpret it, what's it mean, and, and, and how do you live by it, what's it saying, that's not about you. Why? The Bible was written to a specific group of people in a specific time. What's amazing about the Bible is it is God's Word, and so therefore, once you find out what God was saying to those people, there are these timeless truths. There's truth. It's what God says. And then we get to involve us. And so it's a little bit difficult if you're not used to it, which is this. Learn first, apply second. And that's what we're going to do today as we jump into it. And so we're going to jump into a Bible passage, work our way through it. Uh, here's the four steps of uh, Bible study. You might have seen these. Wait a minute. Those are the same four steps of if you're in education, of studying anything. And the first one is observation. What do I see? What, what does it say? And if you already think you know what it says, this is a huge detriment if you've been around the Bible a lot. It's harder for you to study the Bible because you already think you know what it says. And so you start with, oh, I know what that passage says. Good Bible study is I don't know what it said. I am starting clean. And so I don't know. So I'm looking to see what's there. It's very similar to fall leaves. Ah, uh, oh, fall leaves, I've seen them before. 
Or, no, I'm going to watch and see what I see. And you see, oh, the, oh, that's beautiful. That's right. Did you see that red against that green? Did you see that? Whoa, did you see that deer? Did you see this? You see all these pieces where if you're not observing, you're just driving, you actually miss all the beauty that is there. So when we jump into the Bible, first thing we do is we observe and we're asking questions, asking questions. What do we see? What do we see? What's there? What's there? Then we move to interpretation, which is pretty much answering the questions that we ask. What, 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 what does it actually say? What's the principle that it's trying to say? What's the timeless truth? How do I, how do I answer the questions I ask in observation? Then is correlation. Correlation is, wait, so I found this timeless truth. It's amazing timeless truth. And uh, Jesus loves everyone. Wait, that includes me. Therefore, Jesus loves me. That's a timeless truth. Then you go to the rest of the Bible to find out if, it, if that's what it says in the rest of the Bible. Does it go against something else that's in the rest of the Bible? The Bible interprets itself. And so you take the very clear things that the Bible say, says to interpret the not so clear. If you don't do that in your Bible study, you'll end up starting a cult. That's how cults get started. Somebody's studying the Bible and they, they find some passage and they think they say, says something. Oh, that's what it says, yes. I'm sure that's what it says. And then they begin to, it's not clear, but they think they know. And it goes against what the other pieces that are clear in the Bible say. But what they do is they reinterpret all that to match theirs. You've probably sat with somebody like this before. Who opened the Bible and they said, this is what the Bible says. And you read it and you're like, that is what the Bible says. And you say, what about this passage? And they reinterpret, 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 reinterpret. And when you got done... Everything that the Bible clearly says and no longer says, you're all confused, and you move forward. So that's correlation. And then last is when you get to be involved. That's application. The last is, okay, what are we going to do about it? So let's do that. Let's jump in. We're going to take a look at uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2. So in your Bible, it's Philippians chapter 2. I, I can't remember the exact page. Ah, 1673. Um, not the year, 1673, page 1673. And uh, jump in. So we're going to read through this passage. It's, it's a fairly large one. Uh, let's roll. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone else looks out, out for his own interests, not those of Christ, Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother-in-law, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you have sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him. 
because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. So if you're studying this, you'd want to read that like two or three times. For the second time this morning, we're not going to be able to do that. You'd want to read it two or three times. Just read it through, read it through. And this is a pretty pretty safe passage, meaning doesn't seem like there's anything big, big doctrinal thing going on here. What, what's the big thing to, to learn from here? What, why are why things like this in the Bible? It's really just the story of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus actually lived in Philippi, and when it says it's a book to the Philippians, this is a letter that was written by Paul. He was actually in Rome in prison at the time. It's written by Paul to the church at Philippi. So if it was uh, here, it would not be Philippians, it would be Bloomfilpians, something like that. And it was, a, it was written to the church in Philippi. And what had happened is that Paul had financial needs, he's in prison, and they had taken up an offering for him, and then they asked this businessman, Epaphrodite, to take it to Rome, which was 800 miles away, which to us today, if you said, hey, would you take this check to California? We'd all go, sure, I'd love a trip to California. But theirs was either a month-long ship ride or it was 800 miles of walking. Right? So it was a big sacrifice. Along the way, he got sick and almost died. That's part of, you'll see, you see part of that in that process. And so uh, we're gonna do, we do a little bit of observation. And so what you would want to do is ask a bunch of questions. Who's Timothy? Who's Epaphroditus? Um, where's Philippi? What's, uh, is there anything we know about the church at Philippi? Um, just you ask, ask a lot of questions. Now, I'm going to make some observations because we don't, we don't have all, enough time to be able to ask all of your questions. Um, here's some observations. What are some things we know that it says? What, what, what does it say? Well, first of all, Paul intended to send two men to the church at Philippi. I hope to send you Timothy. And who's Timothy? Timothy was a guy who he grew up in a Jewish home. I think he had a Jewish mom and a Gentile father. Um, but he had been really faithful to the scriptures. He'd come to Christ, and then he became Paul's, like it said in, in there, he became his assistant. He's been helping Paul for a while. And I think it's necessary to send you Epaphroditus back to you. And Epaphroditus is clearly a Gentile, not a Jew, based on his name. The end of his name is Aphroditus, or it comes from the the idol, a major idol in uh, that time. And so he was, he was from, that, uh, from that group. Um, and we also know that he's the one who got sent to, to, to come there. The next thing we see is that Paul in, endorses them as role models who deserve honor. He, one of the major things he says at the end is, hey, these are the kind of men you want to honor these guys are an example. Honor these guys. He says, Timothy, I have no one else like him. He's amazing. He's incredible. You're going to experience that right now. You're going to, after here, you're going to go out to trunk or treat, and you're going to few, see a few trunks, and one of those trunks you're going to go like, whoa, there's no, there's no other trunk like this. Somebody's going to be like, it can't get better. That's kind of the, the saying here. This is, this is his attitude toward Timothy. And Epaphroditus, welcome him honor men like him. In the, uh, in the, I'm sorry, the, 
the observation stage and the interpretation stage, when you hit this interpretation stage and you see a word like honor, word studies are really, really helpful. And the way that you do a word study, uh, it's super easy for us now, is you look up the word and then you say, what, what are all the other verses that word shows up in? And you begin to read those verses and it gives you an incredible definition. The other thing you can do is read it in multiple trans translations. Um, we'll do that in a little bit. But read it in multiple translations. That helps you. For those of you who are Spanish speakers, you have an advantage because you get to read in English and Spanish. And you, you can come to know the word better by having the different, looking at it in the different languages. There's something I want you to jot down. It's called thebible.org. That's how it is. It's thebible.org. And that is a, it's a uh, website where you go there, you can put in the Bible passage, and then you can look up the passage. It has like four different versions. Go to the New King James, and you click on the word you're looking for, honor, and then it shows up in the King James. And you click on the word honor again, or whatever word that shows up. And in the, in the King James, it shows up as reputation. They have a reputation. And it will give you the Greek word and the definition. Now, the reason for this one is because you're doing the word study based on the Greek word, which was the original one, and it's, it's way more accurate than just doing it off the English word. And you can do that study. It takes almost no time, but it's amazing when you look up the word, which means it's precious. It's something that you hold precious. It's something that you praise. So it's super valuable. That's the definition of honor. So you want to honor or hold them in, in, in high esteem. So the third thing, uh, let me back up, endorses them as, uh, the third thing is, I'm lost. Okay, so uh, in this interpretation, right, what does it mean to be like these men? What, what, what do we, as we observe, what does it mean to be like them? What do we observe about them? One is, it takes a genuine, they take genuine interest. Secondly, they prove themselves. That's another word you get to look up. What does that mean to be prove yourself? It, it, it really is the idea that you showed yourself over and over again trustworthy. They were, uh, there's this idea of my brother, the fellow worker, the fellow soldier, um, they long for all of you, and they're distressed for you, and it says it almost died for the work of Christ, risk, risking his life. So you observe that. You take note of that. Uh, this is true of these men. So now we move to interpretation. What does it mean? And again, uh, as we work through this, a uh, couple things. One is, as we do these campaigns, I always use uh, the other person's sermon. I don't write the sermon, and this is done by Rick Warren. Rick Warren is the master the master of alliteration. And when I was younger, I used to look at his message and I'm like, I'm going to do that. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. If this doesn't sound like my message, that's because it's not my message. I, I can't, he, it's amazing how he does it. When I alliterate, I kind of have to change the meaning so it fits what I want the alliteration to be. Somehow he does it really, really well. Um, when you do Bible study, don't worry about the alliteration. Don't do that, right? This is, this is good for this piece of it. Uh, but you just put down, hey, no, this is kind of the truth that I think I see. And so we're asking the question, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a man of honor 
that other people should show honor too. What's it mean to be kind of a, a, a man after God? And here we go. The Bible says this. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone else looks out for his own interests. This is a characteristic. He says, like, he, he doesn't have his own agenda. He's selfless. He, he's not involved in this thinking about himself. Now, again, this is not about you, right? Don't apply this. Interact with the words. Interact with God's word. Don't interact it with you. Study it. It goes on to say, genuinely cares for you. Others only care about themselves. This is in a couple of different versions. This is where we practice that thing like, what's it mean? You read it in a couple of different versions. They're all wrapped up in their own affairs. So what's, what's kind of a timeless truth from that? A godly man is caring. A godly man is selfless. He's focused on someone else. He's making his decisions based on not his own agenda, but what's best for somebody else. They're, they're caring. Goes on, to, there's a couple other things we notice. Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. They've run into some tough times, and he's proved himself. Why? Because he hit those tough times and kept moving. Because Paul's in prison. He's there caring for a guy in prison. Um, he is going through those things with Paul, and he doesn't run away. He's proved himself. You know, that, you know what kind of person Timothy proved to be. A godly man's consistent. He's consistent. Do you know the difference uh, between conviction and opinion? Opinion is something you love to talk about. A conviction is something you'll die for. And a godly man is not focused on his opinions. He's living from his conviction. And therefore, he proves himself. I send back to you Epaphroditus. Now listen to these lines. My brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. He has worked and fought by my side. Th those phrases where Epaphroditus comes all this way and then he, he works hand in hand, arm in arm with these other people. A godly man is cooperative. The body of Christ is a family. It's, it's probably one of the hardest things for us as Americans to practice because we, we are very individualistic and we are very, wait, aren't, aren't I supposed to take care of my own first? But if you're going to be cooperative, if you're going to be this guy, then it takes this, this sacrifice. To work with anybody always takes sacrifice. It always takes listening. It always takes those things. Now, again, this isn't about you. This is about, is this what a godly man is? Don't apply it to you yet. Is this what a godly man is? Is this what this passage tells us? 
He longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Now, every once in a while, I run into somebody like this, and it always takes me back. It really does. It always takes me back. He is upset. Epaphroditus is upset for his church back home because they heard he was ill, and he's afraid they're worried about him. No. No, you're the one that got sick. You should be worried about you. No, I'm worried about them worrying about me. And every once in a while, you'll run into somebody like that. They get sick, and, and they miss something, and they go through a really hard time, and you're like, hey, how you doing? I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry I missed this. I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I caused you these problems. I'm like, Don't time out. No. You, you got sick. Like, this person is focused on the other person. They're considerate. They listen. They consider the impact their actions had on you. They think through and know, wait a minute, that action I just took, I know how that impacted you. I'm, I'm considered. I'm considered about those things. Another passage, is, it, it says, indeed, he was ill and almost died. He almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you couldn't give. A godly man is courageous. Now, a lot of us are risk takers. We're willing to take risks. You, in your investments, you take risks. In your sports, you take risks. Some of you, in your driving, you take risks. To the rest of us. That's not courageous. It's not courageous. Courageous is when you take the risk for somebody else. That's what he did. He said, yes, I'll take the money for them. He said, yes, I'll either walk the 800 miles or take the ship. I'll take on that danger because it's good for Paul and it's good for the church in Philippi. That's a, that's a, a godly man is courageous. And he when he's faced with, wait a minute, if I do the right thing, it's going to cost me. That's not the question. If I do the right thing, if I don't do the right thing, what's it going to cost them? What's going to cost my church? In this case, what's going to cost my church? What's going to cost Paul, one of my leaders? He was courageous. At the interpretation stage, right, you want to come out with a, a, a statement that's true. That, that you got from the scriptures. You got because you were focused on the word. You were interacting with the, what the word has to say. Then comes correlation. Correlation. What other verses explain it? So there's a couple things you can do in correlation. One is you can do further study. You can go, I'm going to learn more about Timothy. Well, there was a letter written to Timothy, First and Second Timothy, two letters. And so you learn quite a bit about Timothy in that process. And you find out if what you learned in 1st and 2nd Timothy, does that fit the five things that we came up for a godly man? Does that make sense? If while you're studying Timothy, you go, oh, wait, actually, that's not who Timothy was. And maybe I was wrong about that one. Then maybe that one goes out. I'm correlating it. I'm finding out more. Epaphroditus says a little bit more about him in, in the rest of the book, but not much more. But the bigger piece you're doing with correlation is 
Is there any place else in the Bible where it clearly teaches what these five things are? It correlates. You're like, oh, wait, that is what the Bible teaches here as well. It doesn't cancel it out. It confirms it. Then you're like, hey, I think I found what God has to say. I think I can trust this is what the Bible is saying. But if you find another passage that goes, no, that's not true. So you're studying the passage, you're studying the passage, and uh, I, I, I did some teaching yesterday, and somebody came up to me after the teaching, and they said, they said uh, listen, um, does the wife and husband, between the wife and husband, do they build each other character by trying to speak into each other's lives and, and trying, to, to, trying to help that other person, and almost in a sense, uh, discipline them for, to be able to do that? And I'm like, no, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. And when they walked away, I was like, uh-oh. He asked that question because he's trying to get away with something. He asked that question because he's trying to get away with something. So I gave him the right answer. Does that make sense? But if he'd read the whole scriptures, he would know, no, no, the principle you just took, you're, no, no, you, it's not true. Even though I reconfirmed the way he answered it, it's not true. He, if he would take it, if you would take it and correlate with the rest of scriptures, it's not true. People have done horrible things in the name of the Bible because they didn't correlate it. They didn't make sure it fit with the rest of the scriptures. And when you're interacting with the scripture, this is what group is all about. It's very easy in group to talk about your opinion of everything, right? So if even five of us, right, any five of us went outside and we started talking about a subject, you'd start sharing your opinions. And when you shared your opinions, the rest of us in the group would go, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So would it be offensive for me to speak up about that? Should I just try to say my opinion in a different way? Should I? And before long, all you're doing is talking about, you're not even talking about the subject. You're talking, you're focused on each other's opinions. Does that make sense? Sports, we do this with everything right? In group, it, we do want you to get to know each other. Don't get me wrong. When you study the Bible, what you want to do is focus on what the Bible says. Is that what the Bible says? And when you say, I believe, I think this is what the Bible says based on this passage, it's really great when other group members to go, okay, all right, all right, but what about this passage? And what about this passage? And what about this passage? And at first, at first, you're like, oh, no, they're cutting down my passage, right? They're cutting down. But that's not what happens. What happens is you find out many, many times, oh, my goodness, it doesn't just say it here. It says it here, and it says it here, and it says it here. And now I have a better perspective, a true perspective of what it is. That's what correlation is all about. Now, that moves us into application. Application. So we uh, in your groups, if you're if you're in the groups, you've been working through the books, you've been introduced to space pets already. So at space pets, you go, you ask yourself, okay, is it a sin to confess? Right. Now it wasn't about you up to this point, but now you can go back and it says, your a godly man is courageous. A godly man is. Can't remember all the C's. Consider it. 
And you go, God? So you consider it. There might be a sin to confess, right? It may be that this morning on the way to church, you were not considerate. So there might be. Uh, it talks about uh, 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 the P and the A is the attitude. Is there an attitude to change? Well, all five of those, they could be attitudes that you'd be like, wait, yeah, I need to change my attitude in terms of my, what I think courageousness is. I need to change my attitude because instead of being considerate, instead of thinking of others and not having an agenda, I, had, I have an agenda. That's where I've been operating from. That's why I'm so mad at my, my spouse or I'm so mad at my kids or I'm mad at my boss. It's because I, I show up with my own agenda. So you can go through those space bets and be able to interact with those pieces. Or, and what you want to do is then be able to come up with, this is what I'm going to do. But before we do that, this is, this is the big piece. If you do Bible study and you come out with, this is what I think the Bible says. So therefore, this is what I'm going to do. You will talk to yourself. This is what the Bible says, so this is what I'm going to do. Versus this is what God said. See, when you get to this place, did God say a godly man is courageous? Because if he did, this is what I'm going to do. It's not something you work on. I'm working on that. For 40 years, I worked on not being late. If you, I was late all the time. People are like, you're working on it? I'm working on it. You know what that meant? I felt a little bit bad when I was late. And I said, I'm not going to do that again. But the whole time, I'm talking to myself. And when I was late and it really messed something up, I felt extra bad. And so I said, extra, I'm never going to do that again. Right? I might even go out and buy a new calendar. I might go out and buy a new whatever technology, right? To make sure that I'm not like. Versus, God said, Chris, you cannot lead people and build trust if you're always late. Can't do it. God said, well, it changes everything. Why? Because it's not up to me anymore. This is either obedience or disobedience. This is either I'm with God or I'm against God. When you apply the scriptures, you want it to be personal. This is what I am going to do. Because this is what God said to me. Did God say, did God write the book of Philippians to you? He did not. Did God write the book of Philippians with principles in it, timeless principles that you have discovered? Yes, he did. And when you discover that timeless principle, you are responsible for it before God. When you discover the timeless principle, you are responsible for it before God. As long as you can keep that timeless principle as just something the Bible says that you kind of think of, then you're not held responsible, are you? It's just between you and you, or you and whoever. 
It's personal. This is what I'm going to do before God. It's practical. It's something you're going to do. If you, if you ever say, and, and don't be a, we all say this, right? I say it from time to time. But just know this. If you ever say to me, I'm working on that, you know what I think, right? You're going nowhere. You're going nowhere. Tell me what you're doing to work on it. This is what I'm doing. That's a practical thing that, I, that I'm doing. I'm going to pray about that. I'm all for prayer. Prayer is super important. When you go to do biblical application, I'm going to pray about it? No. Right? God clearly says something to you, and now you're going to talk to him about it? No. Your kids do that all the time. Clean your room. Let's talk about it. No. It's going to be possible. I am never, ever going to yell again, ever. That's not possible. I'm not going to yell in these situations. Or I'm going to do this instead of yelling. This is what I'm going to do. It's provable. Somebody else can go, yes, you did. Whenever you apply God's word and it's only inside of you, it's not provable. I think I'm getting better. It's very similar to I'm working on it. Right? No, it's something provable. It's something that I'm going to do. And so, as we walk through it, we have observe. What is it? Like, what's there? I'm asking those questions. I am interpreting. I'm studying. I'm, I'm finding the answers to the questions that I, that I discovered. And then I'm correlating. Hey, how does this fit with the rest of what the Bible has to say? And then I'm application. I'm taking a step. When you get to application and you get to the place where you go, whoa, I know this is what God said. God said this. That's when you get excited. That's when you're like, I can't believe it. God's talking to me. This is, this is amazing. Conviction comes out of that. Because at that point, it doesn't matter what Pastor Chris said. It doesn't matter what my life group leader said. God has spoken to me. I'm responsible to God before God. And you're like, oh, that's a scary thing. No, it's a super exciting thing. It's super exciting. When you know God has spoken to you, he's told you what to do, it's clear what you're supposed to do, and now I'm going to do it. That's what I'm going to do. It's, it, it changes your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you for the way that you, you have spoken to us. And Lord, uh, because the Bible is really old, it's very easy to say, God, you've spoken in the past. And, and so we're just kind of looking in the past to see what you said in the past. But what we, what we learned last week is that you illuminate. What we've learned from what the scripture says itself is that no, it's alive. It's like a two-edged sword. It's, it's amazing. It's powerful. God's spirit speaks to our spirit today, alive, now. And the way that you do that is through your word, the scriptures. So Lord, first of all, I want to pray for our church. Lord, give us the discipline Give us the conviction 
to do a great job teaching our children, our teenagers, our adults how to study the Bible. Give, take the time, do the work to teach our people how to study the Bible. I want to pray for our group leaders that they, are, they, they would be able to grab a hold of the fact that you have spoken and if they want to lead a group that comes from studying your Bible, studying your word, being able to help other people apply it to their lives. Lastly, Lord, I want to I want to pray that for the hearts of the men and the women who these simple principles we work through today that you've spoken. That the men will look at that list and go, God, I'm going to pick one of those. I know you've spoken. And so, today, this is what I'm going to do. Before you, God, I'm going to build my life on your word. This is what I'm going to do. I pray the exact same thing for our ladies. I pray for our men to be godly men and for our ladies to be godly women who have godly men to follow. I pray for our families and our children that we get to experience what you've promised. When we build our lives on your grace, we find joy and peace and strength and goodness. Lord, you know you're awesome, but we want to say it again. You're awesome. In your name we pray.